Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher, Podcast 31, and today we're going to be looking at failure, inadequacy, fear, particularly failure and inadequacy, because it it seems like it's very easy for people to get caught up in their inadequacies, their fears, their failures. There's something about most of us that find it easy to list our weaknesses. I mean, we could sit down and tell ourselves, not necessarily tell someone else, but we could tell ourselves quite easily, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? Where, where have I gone wrong in the past? Or what we wished we had done differently, what we wished we had done better. I should have done this. I should have improved in this area. It's, it's, it seems easy for us to list our weaknesses, but it's harder for most of us, the majority of us. It's harder to list our strengths, isn't it? And I was struck uh, with the disciple Peter's response to Jesus in our passage this morning, in our text this morning. This is a, this is a story that um, is in Luke 5, Luke chapter 5. I'm going to give you a little bit of the background here. Uh, up to this point in time, Peter, this is a new relationship he has with Jesus. He's been listening to Jesus teaching for some time. He's seen Jesus perform healings. He's already witnessed his mother-in-law receive a healing. So Jesus isn't completely unknown to Peter, but if you look at the timeline, this is the very, very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Remember, he only had three short years. And this passage, this text, this story, is at the very front end of his ministry. So up to this point, Peter doesn't know him that well, but he's seen his compassion, he's seen his kindness. And yet, after Jesus helps him uh, land this amazing catch of fish, which is really in the miracle category, after he witnesses Jesus bring about this amazing catch of fish, because he was a fisherman, Peter's response to Jesus is, an interesting line, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. A sinful man. What does he even, what does that mean? What does it mean? Go go away from me, for I am a, a sinful man. Well, we can't know the intricacies of that statement because we can't read Peter's mind. We don't know precisely what Peter's referring to. But if you're saying to someone, go away from me, that sounds a lot like shame, doesn't it? That sounds like I'm not good enough to keep your company. It sounds like shame. It sounds like he's feeling inadequate. It sounds like he's not up to the the task of keeping Jesus' company. Now, the reason that this struck me as interesting is, is because I started to remember many, many other people who had a similar experience when they come into contact with the divine. For example, like 700 years earlier, Isaiah had a very similar reaction. Isaiah was a prophet. 700 years earlier, he has this vision of God. 
this glimpse of perfect love and holiness and completeness. And his reaction is, and you can read this for yourself, the whole thing in Isaiah 6, his reaction is, woe to me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Interesting reaction. Catches a glimpse of the divine, feels completely inadequate. Peter and Isaiah, similar experience. And then long, long, long before him, Moses had a similar reaction. Long before Isaiah, way, way back, Exodus 3. Remember, God called Moses. He's out tending his flock. He sees this burning bush. He moves toward it. The voice of the divine comes. God speaks from the bush, calls him to lead the people out of slavery. Remember, this is the let my people go story. God calls him to lead the people out of slavery. Moses feels completely overwhelmed, hid his face. He hides his face. He's completely inadequate. I can't do it, he says. I can't do it. I can't even talk in front of people. I freeze up. The Apostle Paul, jumping back forward to, into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, this is the one that wrote three quarters of the New Testament, by the way, had a similar reaction when he has an encounter with God. Jeremiah, an old prophet from the Old Testament, same thing. I can't do it. I'm too young. I don't have the experience. Don't look at me. The point here is, is that everyone feels inadequate. Everyone feels unworthy, lacking in whatever it skills, whatever it takes. Everyone is ask someone else. Everyone. In fact, the only one I could think of that didn't respond this way was um, from the Christmas story, which was, uh, who was Mary? And uh, she, she's the only one. And I think that that was because she had a humility about her and uh, was very well aware from the very beginning that she couldn't possibly do it without uh, God's help. But isn't that interesting that all these famous prophets and leaders all had the same experience when they came into contact with God. They all feel completely inadequate. And it's into these kinds of situations with these kinds of people, people like us, that the call of Jesus comes asking, will you follow me? Now, I want to make a comment here on following Christ and believing in God. Because I believe that there is a world of difference between believing in God and following Christ, right? For most people, for many, many people, if you were to say, do you believe in God? The answer is going to be yes, right? Whether you call it uh, a higher power or God or the universe or Gaia or who, whatever the name is, many, many people, do you believe in God? Yes. But there's a world of difference between believing in God and following Christ. 
because it costs nothing to believe in God, but it costs everything to follow Christ. Because to follow requires a willingness to not be led nor motivated by our weakness, failure, or inadequacy. You see, to follow invites us to not be defined by shame or past failure or mistakes and wrong choices. And that's a huge deal. And it's, it makes such a big difference. And it's the following that Jesus is interested in. Jesus didn't go around saying, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Everybody believes in God in the, in the, in the New Testament. Everyone. This is everyone. They're all Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Uh, Jesus didn't meet Peter and say, Peter, do you believe in God? John, do you believe in God? Mary, do you believe in God? It's always, the question for Jesus is always, will you come and follow me? And it's always an invitation. Because, in other words, you can say no, right? The question was never, do you believe in God? The question for Jesus is always, has always been, will, will you come and follow me? Will you come and follow me? Will you learn how to live the way that I live in the world? Which, as we find out, is very, very different than what we're used to. So here's a little bit of the passage, the text, the story. It's in Luke 5, and it's a simple enough story. Peter, the fisherman, has had a long, tiring, fruitless evening fishing. Okay, he caught nothing. He's packed up his nets for the day, verse 2. He's actually washing his nets, no doubt discouraged because he's accomplished nothing. And Jesus came up to Simon Peter and asked him to go out again, put his nets down again, and fish again. And there's the instruction. So Jesus, he's been, uh, Simon knows him, Simon Peter knows Jesus, and uh, Jesus asks him to go out again, even though he's come back, he's, even though he's been out all night, go out again, put the nets down. So it's really a test, isn't it? And it's completely inconvenient. I think that's worth noting because most of the many, many times when God impresses something upon our hearts, it's inconvenient. So what would you do? You're tired. It's inconvenient. It doesn't really make any sense. You're a seasoned professional fisher. You want to go home. You want to get your dinner. Simon Peter, go out again. That's a test. Well, amazingly, he actually does go out again. Um, which is kind of surprising. Now, let me just make a comment here on this test, this note of instruction. Jesus asked Peter to go out and put his net down. Jesus doesn't want anything from Simon Peter. In other words, Jesus doesn't need fish from Simon Peter. Jesus doesn't want fish and chips. He sends Simon Peter out so that for Simon Peter's sake, not for his sake. In other words, any time God impresses upon us or our conscience speaks 
or God speaks, however you want to say it, you're, you have a sense of leading. And it could be to forgive, it could be to reach out, it could be to encourage, but it's a, it's a, a note of instruction in this sense. You might have a, an inclination, don't judge, or let go of this anger, or you're, you're, you're brooding, you're, this melancholy isn't helpful, it's whatever it would be. The instruction, the test is, Always, always for our benefit. Jesus doesn't need fish from Simon Peter. Jesus doesn't need anything from Simon Peter. The instruction is for Simon Peter's sake. And that's exactly the way that the spiritual principle works with us. You know, when you think about it, God doesn't need anything from us. What could the maker of the universe possibly need from us. Any kind of instruction, any leading is always for our benefit so that we will gain something from the instruction if we go ahead. So Simon Peter goes out, he catches so many fish, his nets begin to break. He catches so many fish, his boat begins to sink. And when Simon Peter sees this abundance of fish, of course he's amazed. But not only amazed, he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed. Jesus is a lot more than he initially thought. And I think, he's, he, I think he has a similar reaction uh, like Isaiah, like Moses. Something happens to people when they catch a glimpse of the divine. And I think what happens is is that we suddenly become aware of our failings, our weaknesses, our lack, our inadequacies. I suppose that when you encounter perfect love, you become dismayed at your own lack of love. You know, when you see God's grace and kindness and you see how limited yours is and how small and insignificant and you see how ego-driven you are, that's, <laughs> that's not a good feeling, is it? You know? It's almost like, what could I possibly offer the creator of the universe? The one who holds the stars in space, the sustainer of countless galaxies, what in the world could I ever give you? Peter says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In other words, what could I ever offer you? Why would you ever want me? Why would you ever want me? I'm a sinful man. Flawed. I can give you nothing. And Jesus responds with this line, Simon Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So there must have been fear here. Don't be afraid. I want you In fact, I'm calling you, and now on, you'll catch people. Verse 10. So what is it going to be, Simon Peter? Are you going to follow me, or are you going to follow fear and the sense of unworthiness that you have? What is it going to be? Will you come and follow me? 
Yeah. I wonder what Simon Peter thought, you know. Simon Peter, the impulsive one. It's like me, Simon Peter, the big mouth. I'm not holy. I'm not perfect. I'm not even faithful. You want me? And Jesus is saying, yes, I'm calling you. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. And down throughout time, God has been calling out people by name. Down throughout the centuries, the millennium, the call comes. Jesus says, from now on, you'll capture people. That's an interesting word in the original language because it means to capture alive. And it's the idea that people are caught by God to be given life. Why would God want to catch you? Because God wants to give you abundant life. That's the image. Why would God want to catch you? To make you alive. And he's saying to Simon Peter, now that's the task of a follower of Christ. I'm not even sure that task is the right word because I don't think it's a duty. I don't think it's like, okay, now that you're following me, you have to go and make followers. I don't think it works that way. I'm coming more to believe that it's a direct result of a life dedicated to God. It's like Simon Peter may be a fisherman, but his life purpose from this point on is to catch people alive, to bring life to people. God will use him to bring life. Jesus called this abundant life, by the way, and it's a whole new understanding of living and being in the world. And it's the type of life that's no longer bound by fear. It's no longer plagued by a feeling of unworthiness or inadequacy. It, it's a, a life that you're no longer defined by what people tell you or what the world tells you or what you tell you, you know, because sometimes we're our own worst enemy. It's a life, abundant life is you're no longer held back by what's missing you know, or your past mistakes, or your wrong choices, or your low self-esteem, or your unworthiness, or your shame. And that call to follow, of course, I mean, really, it's, it's the same for us, right? It's the same thing. The same thing that, the same word that came to Simon Peter is the same word for us. You know, it's interesting because the very last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he left was, it was this very thing. He said, go make disciples, which is show people abundant life. Show people how to follow. Show them how to follow. Yeah, of all the teachings of Jesus, the one thing he emphasized over and over again, it's about following. It's about following. You can believe what you want to believe. It's about following. Very last thing that he said to his disciples before he left. It's like, remember why you're here. I'm calling you to follow. And when you follow, you will bring life. You'll fish for people and you will capture them alive. Because I'm with you, helping you. You will be a life bringer. So I'm suggesting here that when we follow Christ, that's a life dedicated to following, 
the end result over time, over the years, the end result is we bring life to people that we encounter, the people we work with, the people we live with, the people we do business with, the people we have fun with. Not because you have to, it's who you are, right? When all is said and done and all the toys are put back in the box and life is over as we know it, this is the legacy we leave. This is the legacy that we leave that is the most precious, the most valuable of eternal significance. It's like who was caught alive? Who came to life? Who, en- who encountered Christ in us? What else is there? What else is there? There's, there's nothing to compare to that. There's nothing to compare to that. To know Christ is the treasure in the field. That's one of Jesus' sayings. It's what life is all, all about. To follow the right voice, the voice that leads to life and health and healing. Oh, there's the prayer. There's the heart cry. Yes, help me to follow you into life. I want to be caught to be made alive. I want it for myself. I want it for those around me. And inadequacy and low self-esteem and failure does not get the last word. Well, thank you for joining me. We've been looking at Jesus' response to shame and inadequacy. It doesn't have to lead. Shame does not have to lead, Jesus says. Follow me. Join with me again next week for another episode of Celtic Preacher.